This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Rare MLB Show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Ringer Podcast Network. Looking for a better way to bet on your favorite sports online? Well, with FanDuel Sportsbook, there are more ways to bet. If you can dream it, you can probably bet it through FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel offers spreads, parlays, money lines, over-unders, props, and in-game bets, all in an easy-to-use app. And there are more ways to cash out. When you win, you can receive your winnings in your bank account in as little as 48 hours through safe and secure processes. Check out the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to experience sports betting the way it always should have been. FanDuel, more ways to win. 21 and over and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello and welcome to a special Monday night edition of the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Baum and I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. Joining me today, Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Hello, Zach. Hello. And Ringer staff writer and part-time mechanic, Ben Mr. Chalk Lindbergh, who has just finished fixing his mic stand for the past <laughs> five minutes. I've got it. Let's talk fast before it falls again. You sound great, man. Uh, yes, like I said, special Monday night edition because the playoffs start tomorrow. And meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes is lighting up the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, baseball player, right? We're claiming him, right? Briefly. Almost. Yeah. I mean, the number of uh, of NFL starting quarterbacks who played college baseball, there's, I guess there's at least two. I'll go back and think about this later. Tom Brady, you know, famously former catching prospect. Anyway. John Elway. John Elway, yeah. 
Drew Henson? Who can forget Drew Henson? <laughs> Everyone, probably. I was about to say Drew Henson, and then I figured you'd make fun of me. <laughs> no, Drew Henson was like, was the Bo Jackson of the early 2000s. That's how much the early 2000s sucked. Okay, <laughs> we're not going to talk about football all night uh, because the playoffs start tomorrow, maybe even today, maybe even yesterday, as you're listening to this. We're going to go... I mean, ordinarily, we take quite a bit of time and care in previewing each series. But we don't have that kind of time because there are eight playoff series and they are best of three, which is going to lend itself to all kinds of, of chaos. Uh, and so we're going to go through each of these series in turn. We're going to sort of hit the, the high notes and then at the very end, deliver our World Series picks. Uh, so let's start with the top series in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays versus the Toronto slash Buffalo Blue Jays. Uh, the first bullet point I have in my notes here is with because the Toronto Blue Jays with with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Hunjin Ryu, uh, Alejandro Kirk. This is a wide team and, and I love them. And as much as as high as I am on the Rays, I'm very excited to see the Blue Jays in the playoffs. Does with help them or hurt them here? I think it, uh, you've seen Alejandro Kirk hit. I think <laughs> how can you how can you say anything other than than the with helps them? Yeah, I like the idea that maybe Vlad is just going to break out suddenly in the playoffs because he's looked really good the last couple weeks or so. And it would be wonderful if he just figured out how to hit the ball in the air and really had a, a great October. And it'd be really fun if Nate Pearson came back from injury and turned into a bullpen weapon this month. But I just personally don't see a great case for the Jays over the Rays. I think they're both good teams. I think the Jays are an exciting team with a bright future, but the Rays are really good. And I think beyond Ryu, who is not even starting game one for the Jays, I just don't have a lot of faith in most of that Toronto rotation or bullpen, frankly. And other than the game Ryu starts, it seems to me that Tampa Bay has the pitching edge both in the bullpen and in the rotation. And offensively, maybe it's a wash, but it just seems to me that the the pitching edge is firmly in Tampa Bay's side. So I think the Toronto bullpen, and this is going to be the kind of thing that gets said right before they give up nine runs in the seventh inning in game one. I think it's better than uh, maybe you think, or maybe they get given credit for. I could see a path with this pitching because what, they, what they're going to try to do apparently is, is bullpen game it with uh, Matt Shoemaker um, taking up a little bit of the load on the front end. And maybe we get Nate Pearson in the end of, of game one. We haven't seen Blake Snell pitched that deep into games in the, the postseason in the past. And then game two, I think you could make an argument that we use the best pitcher in the series. So if that happens, it, if like the Blue Jays do need to shoot the moon, but I could see how they get it, how they get it done. But that said, this Rays team just has so much depth in the lineup. They're, they're good defensively. They have so many pitchers, not just the scary, you know, Snell, Morton, uh, Tyler Glass now types, but just the, I mean, we saw this in the, unfortunately in the, for, for me in the last weekend of the, of the regular season where they shut down the, the Phillies, like even down to, to bespectacled Wade Miley, who, who, was lights out in the last game of the season. Um, yeah, the Razor, they've just got too much pitching, I think. And and as much as fun as it would be to see the, the Blue Jays put up a fight, I think the, the Rays are going to take this one pretty handily. I think the Rays of all the American League teams probably have the least obvious holes. Minnesota might be up there too, just strong in all facets of the game. But whereas if you look at Oakland, I think there's an obvious hole 
that we're going to talk about when we talk about that series. Yankees, same thing. Cleveland, their outfield has been a whole all year, whereas Tampa is just kind of at least competent everywhere. And I'm not sure if that's better or worse than if you're really good in one area and not really good in another. But Tampa is also really good in some areas. I think their bullpen is maybe the best and deepest in the American League. And that matters given the condensed playoff schedule this year. We talked about this uh, last week or two weeks ago, whenever the announcement came out, that there's going to be a bunch of games without any off days. And I think the fact that Tampa has already been pitching shorthanded all year, given all their injuries and proved that that's not really going to get in their way, gives me more confidence in their bullpen than others where if like Chad Green and or all this Chapman can't go three days in a row. I'm not really sure what happens with the Yankees bullpen to say nothing of teams with worse bullpens than that. And you mentioned it, Mike, but there's so many interchangeable parts and platoon possibilities with the Rays. Just, you know, if Shoemaker's going, the Rays can load up the lineup with lefties. And if Ryu's going, they can load up the right lineup with righties and they can just sort of feast on you there. So I think as a baseline, maybe those offenses aren't terribly different, but the Rays really can mix and match and really take advantage of whichever pitcher is starting that day. So, and then you have, you know, like the the Nick Andersons and the incredible guys in the back of that bullpen that I just don't think a lot of teams can match up very well with. So I think the Rays, maybe they aren't underrated just because they've had the best record in the league this year, right? And a high seed, but it just seems to me that they will take this one handily with the standard caveats that we will just apply blanket to every series here, which is that it's three games and no one knows anything. Yeah. I, what I'll say about this three game series and and then we'll move on to the next one is that you don't need like for all the talk. It's mostly the two Ohio teams the talking about the, the great top three starting pitchers. You don't need three great starting pitchers to win the series. You need two because if you win the first two games, you don't play the third. So I think it everything goes right for Toronto and they can throw Ryu in game two, then I'd really be sweating if I were Tampa Bay. But I guess that that applies to everybody. And that is putting a lot of pressure on Matt Shoemaker and his, his merry men. Um, so let's go to, uh, I don't know if this is my favorite game on matchup, but it's, I think it's up there uh, in the, the A's White Sox series, Lucas Giolito versus Jesus Lazardo. Uh, this is, you mentioned teams that, don't really have a lot of obvious holes. I don't really see that many obvious holes on the White Sox in spite of them being the number seven seed. I think the White Sox really just the last week was so bad. It might've soured my taste on them. I actually ended up picking them in this series and our staff predictions post anyway, because I think they're really good. And this is, this is a really fun matchup. Uh, both starting pitchers, you mentioned former nationals prospects. So the nationals have some representation uh, in this October. But I think the A's are an it's interesting team. It's not very team. nice, Zach. I think that's a really <laughs> they, they, mean they thing. They won the World Series. That. They're fine. The White Sox I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago as a team that had done really well against the worst teams they played, like the Tigers and the Royals, but had struggled against the top-tier competition in the AL Central. The A's didn't even have top-tier competition in the AL West. All four other teams in that division finished below 500. Uh, and in the NL West, only the Dodgers and Padres finished above 500. So the A's only played, I think, six games against teams with a winning record this year. And I'm not sure if that actually matters. If you look historically at teams that have struggled against teams with winning records, it doesn't really predict playoff success. But Oakland hasn't really played anybody. And given their division lead against uh, the Astros, they haven't played a really meaningful game in a while. 
they're missing uh, Matt Chapman. And I think that is a real problem for them because he is such a stabilizing force in their lineup uh, on defense. And I could easily see them winning. They're the two seed for a reason, but I'm kind of worried about them from that perspective. Yeah, I did take the A's in this series, but it was pretty close for me. And maybe I'm biased by the White Sox recent performance, which we probably shouldn't put too much stock in because we know that how you enter the playoffs really isn't all that predictive of how you perform once you're in the playoffs. So I think the A's bullpen gives them an edge, but probably not as big an edge as many people might think or or as it might against other teams, because really the White Sox pen is pretty impressive, too, especially in the late innings. So I like this game one matchup a lot, too. This is a lot of fun. I think that uh, starting, I guess, game two, it would be with AL September pitcher of the month, Chris Bassett is maybe not quite as impressive, but Bassett's been really good this year, too. So it's not really a a big gap either way, I don't think. I mean, Chapman, it it hurts to lose him, obviously, but they've filled his spot fairly well with the the guys that they've put at third in his absence. And I don't see a, a huge, huge downgrade there, at least, you know, from a healthy Chapman, sure. But I'm not sure that they had fully effective Chapman for most of this year. And really, the A's have had, you know, they've won 97 games, really either won 97 or been on a 97 win pace for three straight seasons now. And I'm going to give them their due for that. Of course, they haven't won a playoff series, but maybe this will be the year. Yeah, I think one thing that's really getting underrated is Dallas Keuchel in game two for the White Sox, because Giolito is the big name. He's got the the big stuff. It's weird to say the big name over the guy who won a Cy Young Award and made however many all-star teams and won a World Series. But Keuchel, I think, has gone under the radar a little bit this year with with how well he pitched. And I think he could be a decisive factor in this series in game two. Uh, and so, yeah, this is sort of an, if you're going to pick an upset, this is sort of an obvious upset to pick. Uh, but I also went with the White Sox here. Yeah, the White Sox were leading the entire American League just a week ago. I think of all the American League series, I would be most surprised if this one doesn't go three, just because I think they're so evenly mm-hmm. matched. And like you mentioned, Keiko versus Bassett is two pitchers who have been on a complete tear recently. So I would be pretty surprised if this didn't go three, because also it's the Oakland A's and they are forever destined to go to a do or die elimination game and unfortunately probably be eliminated. I'll say this also might be a situation where we could see in-game managing really making a difference because uh, Bob Melvin knows has done this before. He's managed a team with sort of a weird pitching setup in in uh, high stress situations. I, I think Rick Renteria is a little bit of an unknown quantity uh, right now in, in situations like this. So, you know, if Giolito and Keiko pitch well, it's not going to matter what he does. But uh, this is one where I think we can. We've seen managers take so much control over playoff series, and this is something to uh, to watch in the series as well. Um, you know, Zach, you mentioned team the A's being a team that played a soft schedule. Uh, nobody did that more than the Twins last year, and they got absolutely shellacked in the first round against the Yankees. They are back at it this year, having avoided the Yankees. They can't face the Yankees until the ALCS. Instead, they face the defending American League champion Houston Astros. Uh, so, I don't know, what do you make of this Astros team? Because right now they seem eminently beatable to me. It was strange on uh, Sunday. I think the the last game that ended was Twins versus Reds. They went to extra innings. And if the Twins won, they would get the two seed and face the White Sox. If they lost, 
they would get the three seed and face the Astros. And I think our pals over at Cespedes Family Barbecue were saying that the Twins should tank in the bottom of the 10th inning just to face the Astros. And what a strange thing to even jokingly contemplate that the Astros would be the team you would rather face than the White Sox who haven't made the playoffs in more than a decade. But Houston, I kind of kept waiting for them to get it together, even with Verlander down, even with all of the injuries they had. I thought they would be better than this. And maybe it's time to turn around. I mean, with this offense, it really only takes two games and then they're back in the ALDS and who knows what happens from there. But they didn't even really have that like one week of dominance that a team like the Yankees, which was inconsistent all year, did. And I'm not sure whether that matters, but it w- it's the kind of thing you hope for at- that at least the team would show its potential before the playoffs. The thing that I think makes them a little more dangerous maybe than their regular season stats show is that your favorite, maybe your favorite before Lance Lynn became your favorite, Mike Lance McCullers, he has looked like his old self in his last few starts after coming back from Tommy John surgery and not looking like his old self. It seems like he's gotten it back lately. And so if you put Granky and Framber Valdez and Lance McCullers in a three-game series, I mean, that could turn out pretty well for you, I think. And a lot of the names are the same, which makes you think, well, there's still talent here, clearly. And a lot of the players don't have the stat lines that we're accustomed to seeing, except for, you know, say Brantley or, or Springer. I mean, there are guys in this lineup who had good years. Kyle Tucker, perplexingly, Carlos Correa actually stayed healthy this year and just didn't hit all that well. And of course, Bregman was down a bit and Altuve possibly banged up, but just did not hit at all like himself. But these are the hitters that we have seen terrorize the rest of the league for the past few years. And it would not shock me if they sort of flipped the switch and had a good month. I just it's clearly not the same Astros team. There's no Verlander. There's no Jordan Alvarez. This is the team that had, I think, by far the most injury days for a pitching staff. And that really showed. But they are at least a little bit healthier than they have been at points this season. And really, it's just kind of the the core names are still good. And you just don't know how much to believe in this 60-game season as opposed to the track record of all of them, which would suggest that they are a bit better than this. So I could see them turning it on, but I think the the Twins have the talent and also the recent performance. And so I think you would not want to face them. Good. An entire segment where we talked around the obvious reason why the Astros might not be as good in this year's playoffs. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, this is the primetime series uh, in the American League playoff bracket as determined by the television executives. The White Sox and A's are getting new local time starts so we can get the Yankees and Cleveland into primetime. Uh, nothing like a really late playoff game at Yankee Stadium, as I'm sure you know, Ben. Um this is uh, this is the Styles Make Fights series. This is the team from 1912 versus the team from 1995. Uh, my big question, I wrote about this in my 10 burning questions piece that went up on Monday morning, is, is Cleveland's rotation actually this scary or is that just something people are saying because their offense is that bad and we need to find an explanation for them being the four seed? Well, uh, to be clear first, this series is not at Yankee Stadium. It is in Cleveland, which might matter oh, because... because the Yankees were 22 and nine at home this year and only 11 and 18 on the road with wide disparities, especially in how they performed on offense. So I think that could matter. It's also just a question about 
TV executives putting this series first. Is there any opponent that the Yankees could have faced where there wasn't the primetime series? Because it seems to me like it would have been the night game no matter what. Yeah, I guess like short of of like an uh, an A's Mariners series. You know, I I like the afternoon start for for a playoff game. I think it's it's cool. Like you know, it sort of feels almost old timey to have uh, an, an early start and get out of the ballpark uh, early. But yeah, I mean the the Yankees are. Are going to probably, like you said, Zach, be the the prime time team. Um, obviously, I messed up which uh, which city this is being uh, played in, but obviously, the Yankees and Cleveland in Cleveland in this time of year, you know what that means. Job Chamberlain can tell you midges. midges. <laughs> so, are we going to end the twenty twenty regular season with an actual plague of locusts? Are the midges going to going to interfere again? Mitch is in three. Yeah, I wouldn't put too much stock in splits, home away splits in a 60 game season, even though they are pretty sizable and maybe, you know, the Yankees bats are tailored to Yankee Stadium. But I think there is still something to home field advantage. We saw that in this regular season, even without fans in the stands, home teams went 500 and 398. That's a 557 winning percentage. That is higher than in a normal season. So it does seem like home field advantage still matters, at least for this round. After that, you go into the quasi-bubble and you're playing in neutral sites. But that does matter, I think, for this week. And I really went back and forth and sort of agonized over my pick for this series when we were doing our predictions for the website because it really is such a mismatch stylistically. I mean, you have a great offensive team in the Yankees who are fully healthy, at least in the lineup now. And Judge and Stanton have not looked great since they came back, but... Again, not going to read too much into, you know, 40 plate appearances or so for them. I think to have them back in the lineup is very encouraging. And then on the other side, you have the pitching and defense Cleveland team. And I don't really put too much stock in the pitching and defense wins championships or plays better in the postseason idea. So to me, it's really kind of close. And I think the playoff odds reflect that. I ended up picking the Yankees in part just because they were my preseason pennant winning pick and I wanted to be consistent if I didn't have a a great reason to switch. And just because I think if there's any team here that the seeding doesn't really reflect the true talent, maybe it's the Yankees who have what the the fifth seed, right? But a lot of that was injuries. And I think if you were to play a 162 game season, they would probably look a little bit better than they did. So I think the rotation, Cleveland's rotation is pretty much as good as advertised, I I think. But, you know, when you have Shane Bieber going up against Garrett Cole, that's not really a big gap. Cole has looked pretty good in his last few starts. And then when you factor in the Yankees having a far, far better lineup, Cleveland's lineup, I think, is the worst of any playoff teams this year. So that sort of equalizes the pitching advantage to an extent. And ultimately, it kind of comes out as a coin flip for me. I, I see what you're saying, Mike, about it's kind of like the Nichols law of catcher's defense. Cleveland's offense That's is so exactly bad that yeah. you're overemphasizing their rotation. But I do think it is that good, especially in a short series like this. I'm less sold on the back end guys, but just Bieber and Carrasco in the first two games could win a series all by themselves and add in Brad Hand and James Karinchak in the bullpen. Ali Perez still kicking around with an ERA of two this year. And I think that's a recipe to get through 18 really good innings over the first two days and make it so, at least for the first round, you don't need to test Zach Plezak against a really good lineup. And I think that's where Cleveland has the best chance at winning the series is to try and get through it early before 
the Yankees can kind of flex the muscle of their bats. If there's any pitcher in the entire IL who can make Garrett Cole look like the worst pitcher in a game, it's probably Shane Bieber. So you start off with that advantage and uh, Carrasco Tanaka is also a great pitching matchup in game two because Tanaka has historically been excellent in his playoff career. And I think, like Ben said, this is a really exciting series, but given how the teams are playing and given that Cleveland does have that pitching advantage, I snuck them by in my predictions as well. Yeah, I mean, they put Tristan McKenzie in the pen. I mean, he would be a playoff starter for a lot of teams, given how well he pitched. And Maybe a cl- playoff starter for Cleveland if they win <laughs> yes, this series. He, he probably will be, yeah, if you get into a, a longer series. And I just, I, you look at the the pen for the Yankees, and it was really pretty volatile this year. But you look at the names of the players in that pen, it's almost like we were just saying about the Astros lineup. You look at the names, and it's like, do we take the, the 2020 performance, or do we take the two- or three-year track record? So with the Yankees pen, you have guys like, you know, Chad Green, Adam Adovino, who've been kind of inconsistent this year. Then you have Chapman, who's been his usual dominant self, Britton, who's been great. And Chapman missed a a part of the season, which I think drags down their bullpen stats a little bit. And of course, Tommy Canely had Tommy John surgery. But you look at the names there, and those are the same names, really, that have made the Yankees pen sort of this dominant strength that we projected for them coming into each of the past few postseasons. So with bullpen performance and how variable it is in a short season, I tend to think those guys are probably still pretty good. Yeah, I just it comes down to I I agree that that Cleveland's bullpen is probably a plus over the Yankees right now. I mean, they're you know how how much can Luke Voigt you know can he get to first base if he draws a walk right now? Like there there are issues with the Yankees throughout the lineup. I just don't think that Bieber and Carrasco is that big an advantage over Cole and Tanaka. I think it does a, a disservice to a really good postseason uh, experienced. Yankees rotation. So I'm, I'm taking the Yankees for, for that reason in three, because one of those guys might, um, you know, Bieber might throw a no hitter in game one or something like that. So you always have to guard against that, that possibility. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. 
Okay, let's move to the National League. And uh, the first series up is a rematch of the 2018 NLCS. That is the Dodgers and the Brewers. Uh, this is a team. This is a, a matchup of a team that. Uh, I mean, it's the the best team in baseball. I think we've said said this since ga- uh, since day one uh, against a team that re- backing into a playoff spot actually kind of undersells what Milwaukee did. Uh, so is there any reason? Is there any reason to to expect anything other than a Dodger sweep? If anyone wanted a, a a perfect illustration of why a 16 team postseason is a bad idea, just watch the Brewers, Phillies, and Giants from over the weekend, where they were playing hot potato on who wanted to get to face the Dodgers, and I guess the Brewers won, which is good for them, but they did so in really dispiriting fashion. I think the Dodgers are in an obviously great position here, not just because of the talent advantage, but because Milwaukee has two really good starters, but Corbin Burns is hurt and Brandon Woodruff had to pitch on Saturday. So he won't even be available for at least the first and probably the second game of the series as well. This would be the one series where an upset would truly shock me. Yeah, nothing would actually shock me in this playoffs. I mean, I think no, just to- <laughs> no, no. You got to go in so that if the Brewers, <laughs> if the Brewers come out and win this series, we can play this audio clip back, and all of us can look like idiots. <laughs> look, We're I in mean, this I, together, man. If you look at the the FanGraphs playoff odds right now, I think the the Dodgers' odds of winning the series are about two and three. I mean, that's the probability when it comes to these things, because uh, these are all playoff teams. Granted, the Brewers are stretching the, the definition of playoff team as far as you could possibly stretch it. And the Dodgers look like an all-time great team. I mean, they were on 116 win pace. Their underlying stats fully support that. And with other teams, you might think, well, they just happen to have their best 60 games in the 60 game season with the Dodgers. I think this was just pretty much representative of the Dodgers. That's kind of one of the disappointments for me that we have this short season is that we don't get to see the Dodgers make a run at some sort of record. So I think they are actually this good. And I think the the Brewers' best chance at an upset sort of disappeared with Corbin Burns, just because if you had come into this with Woodruff and Burns, I mean, you could certainly dream about winning those two games. Like, the Dodgers have lost two games in a row four times this year. You know, it is possible. Like, they lost two in a row to the Rockies. They lost two in a row to, I think, the Astros and the Diamondbacks. They lost two in a row to the Giants. Like, it can be done. But I think it's a a harder and higher hill to climb now that the Brewers don't have one of their best two pitchers there. Speaking of the best two pitchers, if I have to write another Clayton Kershaw chokes in the playoffs (laughs) column again, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to be so angry. So please, whatever else happens, just let Kershaw pitch well. That's really all I want out of this series. I know there Uh, are designated hitters in the National League now, but what do we think the odds are that Brandon Woodruff gets a pinch hit at bat in game two against, (laughs) against Kershaw this year after what happened in the NLCS? I think, I mean, I wouldn't put it past Craig council to, to do something like that, just to, to play mind games. I mean, he's going to, he's going to need every trick in the book to, if they're going to win this series. Yeah. And the Brewers lineup has been bad enough that he might actually make (laughs) sense to pitch it with Woodruff at some point, like losing Lorenzo Kane, I think, hurt this team quite a bit too like that would look like a different lineup with him in it so really by citing these playoff odds i'm just trying to calibrate expectations such that if the dodgers blow this thing and there's an upset 
we won't have to write the Kershaw piece again, except I'm sure we will. But that's the point. Like it's a three game wildcard series. Like if they get knocked off, it doesn't mean that uh, Dave Roberts should be fired or that Clayton Kershaw choked or something. It yeah, just good means luck that... selling that, though. Like... <laughs> I know. No, it's impossible to to sell, but I'm just uh, I'm saying it anyway, even if it won't actually have any effect. But look, the, the Dodgers are really great, and I would expect them to steamroll the Brewers. It's just that whoever knows. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next up, Braves and Reds. This is another uh, Styles Make Fight series. This is a really incredible Braves offense against a highly touted Reds rotation, and I think a pretty solid bullpen, and sort of a disappointing... Honestly, this is sort of backwards from the way I expected both of these teams to be built. Maybe less so with the Reds, because um, they've been developing a, a or developing and signing... Um, Pitchers, but you think of that as like a, a, an offensive environment or a pro offensive environment with Suarez and Votto uh, and some of those guys in that lineup. And it's sort of an underwhelming offensive team, whereas the Braves have spent roughly a billion top 10 picks on on pitchers. And, you know, Max Fried, who wasn't their top 10 pick, uh, but uh, he's going to start game one of this series. And, uh, you know, Ian Anderson, I, you know, I don't. Yeah, there's no no listed starter for game two for Atlanta right now. Um, so Brian Snicker's probably going to have to make this up on the fly. Uh, that said, it's a good bullpen. It's a team that can really outscore a lot of its pitching problems. Uh, for that reason, I think the Braves are being kind of underrated as a, a potential NL pennant favorite. What do you or what do you think, Zach? I think that the Reds are a classic team of look at the rotation and ignore everything else about the roster which is so exciting when you go into October even if history doesn't actually bear that out to be the case of course last year the Nationals won the World Series largely because of three starting pitchers so it's possible and I might be falling uh, prey to that trap too because I did pick Cincinnati to win this series in part because I think it's not just that the it's not just that the Atlanta rotation is shallow after Freed it's that I look at these pitchers, and if it goes to three games, I don't even know who pitches game three for Atlanta, whereas Cincinnati has Sonny Gray, who's been good for the last two seasons. And I'm probably overvaluing rotations given how much they matter historically, but I think this is the kind of series where Cincinnati has just enough guys in three games. Even if you look at the bullpen, like if these starting pitchers give them give them bulk and give them innings they don't need that much beyond Iglesias at the back end that I could see them sneaking by two wins but this is another series that I would guess goes three games and and maybe that's why I give Cincinnati the advantage because if it does go to a third game I think that rotation disparity is pretty enormous yeah, I did go with the Reds, and they do feel kind of like the the trendy pick. And maybe you guys we're are un- sheep. You're <laughs> sheep. <laughs> but they're just such the they're the classic example of the team that you look at and you think, oh man, I don't want to face this team in a short series. And maybe we're overlooking the fact that well, you don't want to face Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zuna in a short series or any series for that matter, because those are three of the best hitters in the league, and they're in the same lineup. So that is a, a really scary offense. And I keep looking at this Reds lineup all season long, all two months of it. And I keep thinking this is going to be a better lineup than it's been. And I still sort of believe in it as a a better offensive unit than it has actually been, but maybe I should not. But still, I think this Reds team, if you were in sort of the standard postseason schedule, 
where there were a lot of days off and you could really ride hard your best pitchers and not worry about the the back of the bullpen and rotation guys. I think it would be even more dangerous, but just looking at the Braves rotation, which they've had such trouble piecing together without Soroka, without Hamels. I mean, even Freed was kind of questionable for this series. He's been banged up with ankle and back issues too. So and he's not a, he's not like a, a the kind of guy who's going to pitch a complete game in game one and then come back out of the bullpen in game three. He just has never been a guy who who takes up that kind of bulk. Mm-hmm. And he's not really your your FIP superstar in the way that some of the Reds pitchers are, right? He's more of a, a pitch to contact guy, more of, a, more of a substance <laughs> guy than a flash guy. I, yeah, so <laughs> he's had great results, yes, but that Reds rotation just scares me so much that I did go with them, and I think it would be a a fun story, like if they were able to kind of come from behind this season and make a, a deep run. And in my predictions, I did have them going to the NLCS. So I do believe in their ability to do that. But, you know, the Reds probably deserve or the Braves probably deserve some respect for winning division titles and for just mashing all year. So I let's say it does go to a game three, which, uh, you know, I'm not really that optimistic about about that happening. Um Kyle Wright hasn't been terrible in, but you know what has been terrible is the Reds offense. And so like, I would take Kyle Wright against, you know, Nick Cassianos and his, uh, two ninety eight OBP versus, uh, Sonny gray and the best offense, maybe in all of baseball, certainly the highest scoring offense. So I, I just think like, Pitching, yes, pitching can win championships, but I think comparing the this year's Reds to last year's Nationals is uh, alighting the absence of an Anthony Rendon and a Juan Soto and a Trey Turner. Like, yeah, like if you add the three best guys from the Nationals to this Reds lineup, then we can talk. But I'm not that optimistic about the rest of this team. And Atlanta, I don't think that this, ro- I'm sorry, and I don't think this rotation is quite as scary as Cleveland's. Atlanta, by the way, we talk a lot about the playoff misfortunes of Oakland and Minnesota. Atlanta has lost 10 consecutive playoff series, uh, counting that wild card game with the Pete Cosma infield fly rule. So they have to go back to 2001 to find the last time they won a playoff That's series. Wild. And obviously that doesn't have any bearing on the actual outcome of this series, but Atlanta fans are kind of in, in need of some, in, in need of a break, just like Oakland fans and Minnesota's. There's a couple of teams like this, like the Rays haven't won a playoff series since 2008. I think this might be my favorite series, though. I don't know about you guys if you have a favorite matchup here, but I think this is it for me. Just the prospect of seeing Bauer and Castillo and Gray and Garrett and Lorenzen, all those guys go up against the Braves bats and it's a stylistic difference and I don't really know which one is favored. I think this is actually the one I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about as someone who lived through a lot of Braves playoff successes in the 90s while rooting for a division rival. uh, I think maybe we should talk about Braves postseason failures more, but I think we're going to have to wait a couple more rounds for that to happen. Uh, So this one, the next up is the Cubs and the Marlins. So, Zach, you mentioned before we're going to spoil World Series picks here because I have to know. You mentioned that you were a dissenting opinion. That's all I'll say. Ben and I had the same champion. You didn't. Did you pick the goddamn Marlins because they've never won a, a or they've never lost a playoff series before? I should have. I did not. I do have the Marlins okay. winning this series, though. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, 
that that is interesting. I was sure that you were going to commit to the bit all the way and pick the Marlins to win the World Series because they've never lost a playoff series before. But so uh, this is actually the series that I would be most surprised if the underdog won. Um, maybe even including the the Dodgers. Yeah, I forgot about the Dodgers and Brewers. Apart from the Dodgers <laughs> and Brewers, I would be most surprised if the underdog this one won because I I don't know, I'm not that high on the Marlins. So make your make your positive affirmative case for the Marlins if you have one. Well, the Marlins had a better offense than the Cubs this year, which doesn't make any sense given the construction of their rosters. But here's a stat for you. There were 142 players who qualified for the batting title this year. Javi Baez ranked 140th in WRC+, which is an yes. all-encompassing measure of offense. He was terrible this year. He hit 203, 238, 360. Chris Bryant was not good this year. Anthony uh, Rizzo was not that good this year. They had some guys pick up the slack, like Ian Happ had a, a pretty good breakout, but I do not trust this offense at all. And they obviously have the pitching advantage with presumably Darvish and Hendricks in the first couple games, but I don't think there's that much of a gap between like those guys and Sixto Sanchez, particularly when Sixto Sanchez will be pitching to this Cubs offense that was bad basically the entire season. The Cubs are favorites, sure, but I think this is the kind of series where the the vagaries of the best of three format will really show up. If you look at the Fangraphs playoff odds, even though the Cubs are a better team, it's only like 56 to 44%. The Marlins really have a shot at this. So I figured everyone else would be picking the Cubs. And for the sake of standing out, I, I don't think the perception of this series matches the odds. Well, since you're criticizing Chris Bryan on the internet, I want you to know that you're you're opening yourself up to profanities directed at you. I mean, and he said that and he went out and homered in each of his next two games. So maybe he is feeling better. I mean, my question about, about that is like, who do you think is going to be better in the series? Javi Baez or John birdie, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, it's like the same thing we were just talking about with the Astros. Even it's like, yeah, I look at Baez and Bryant and Rizzo and, and those guys really had lousy seasons. Like the offense is built around Ian Happ and Jason Hayward. And I don't know how that happened, but look at the pedigree of those guys. Look at their resumes. Look at their projections. Like these are still probably pretty good players and hitters. Yeah. And I think, look, it, the Marlins, of course, have won the World Series the, the last two times they made the playoffs. Like those two teams outscored their opponents, you know, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, a helpful thing when it comes to winning in the playoffs, too. This team did not outscore its opponents, did not come close to outscoring its opponents. I think maybe the best case you could make for it is that the top three in the rotation is pretty decent. Like, it would not be surprising if, you know, Pablo Lopez and Sixto Sanchez, who's looked great, and Sandy Alcantara, if those guys strung together a few strong starts, that would not be surprising at all. So I could see that happening. It's just I I don't really see the argument for them being better than the Cubs. Even Zach, who is picking the Marlins, just <laughs> acknowledged that they are not better than the Cubs and are not more likely to win this series and that he is picking the Marlins solely for a brand-related reason. For shock so, value, for, for clout. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so To own I the think, libs. Yeah, I think that the Marlins are a great story. I mean, the fact that they're here at all is really impressive, just given how much time they missed, how many players they used, how many players debuted for the Marlins. They just had to like basically come up with, you know, a, a second string team and plug them in there. So they're a 
great story. Just to get to this point, I just don't think they're a, a great team or even a good team. And this is not the 2016 Cubs, but they are still pretty good at pitching and defending. And I just think they're they're a better team. Can we talk about the run differential for one second, though? Because the Marlins were outscored by, I think, 41 runs this year. And 35 of those were in two games near the end of the season. The 29-9 loss to Atlanta and the 15-0 loss against Washington. But none of those pitchers who gave up all those runs are going to pitch in this series. Like the Marlins' three pitchers against Washington are not going to throw in this series. And against Atlanta... 13 of those runs were given up by Jordan Yamamoto. And sure, if Jordan Yamamoto is going to give up 13 runs to the Cubs in game two, give this series to Chicago. But I think especially given all of the roster changes that the Marlins had, all the rookies they had debut who aren't going to pitch in this series, I think the run differential is a little misleading there because of how concentrated their losses came. They were really good at winning games like five to three and then losing the next day 12 to one. And I think that reflects kind of the makeup of the roster, which was necessary given all the positive tests and injuries. Yeah, usually what we what we say that says about the makeup of a team's roster is that it's bad and that it's get, and it has a good bullpen, which I think is true. So, I'm, well, first of all, Jordan Yamamoto, I drafted him way too high in Diamond Mine last year, and I'm very upset about the step back he's taken this season. But one of the rookies who debuted, who is going to pitch in this series, is Sixto Sanchez, who's being touted as a a reason that the. I mean, and it's not just what you said, Zach, like this is like the, the article of faith. This is the talking point that Sanchez and Alcantara can swing the series on their own. Sanchez has not been good in his past two starts, which, you know, they're two starts, but they're also like 28% of his major league career. He's gotten knocked about. He's uh, walked more batters than he struck out. He's allowing um, uh, opponents to hit in his past two starts, 375, 474, 438. It's far from certain that he's going to come in there against somebody like uh, Darvish or, or Hendricks and this experienced Cubs lineup. And I'm trying not to get bumfuzzled by the, by the names, but I'm, I have my doubts about, I think it's absolutely possible that Sanchez could come out here in his first playoff start and shove, but let's not act like that's a certainty. And if that doesn't happen, then this is going to be a really short series. It's going to be a really short series either way. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, one thing I will say: the the first series, first game of this series is on ABC. We've got a couple ABC games, and it like is that just nice to anybody else having having baseball back on one of the big three networks? It's nice to have it on a channel that I know how to find, <laughs> so that's good. Okay. Marlins cord cutting millennials here. Yeah, that's yeah. the marquee <laughs> game that you want everybody in America to see. Hey, the last time the Marlins played the Cubs in an important game, things happen that we remember 17 years later. So that don't give that it is short actually, shrift yet. That is a fantastic point. Maybe no fans one of the, in the best stands this time. Yeah, one of. Oh man, could they could they have like socially hey, can, distanced? Could they have a first pitch thrown out by Mark Pryor to Moises Alou and Bartman darts in and steals it before it? It reaches no, home like, plate. If anybody from the Marlins game ops is is uh, now, I guess this this can't work because they don't have any home games in this series. I was going to say like they <laughs> should have a a Steve Bartman cut out at the um, no man. What what a wasted opportunity here. Okay, he suffered um, enough. Yeah, I guess that's true. That have an guy. Alex Gonzalez cut out. Yeah, uh, have a screaming Moise Salu cut out. <laughs> uh, Okay, well, we've got one series left. This is a team 
uh, or a matchup of uh, of one team that I think all of us are very high on, another team that has really had a Marlins-like season in terms of the scheduling mishaps, the number of games that they've, uh, or the number of rookies, rather, that they've had to to throw into tough situations. It's another team that's sort of cobbling together its rotation with the um, with the injuries to the likes of Carlos Martinez and, and uh, Dakota Hudson. This is the Padres and the Cardinals. Uh, ben, can you give me a case for the Cardinals here? Because this is another team where I'm not really sure I see the path for them. I guess the best case right now is the status of Denelson Lamette and Mike Clevenger, which is very uncertain. We're recording Monday night. I think they're going to throw on Tuesday. I read that they throw a they they played aggressive catch on Monday, which is a, a great term. I like to imagine what aggressive catch looks like because most of my catch playing is pretty laid back and, and casual. But it seems like they are possibly still going to go, or at least Lamette is still going to go, but it's hard to say whether they will be fully effective and healthy. And then are you going to dip into maybe Chris Paddock, who's been totally up and down this year? Is he going to get a start? So I think that is probably the best argument, which is just that the Padres are not at full strength right now. But beyond that, I can't really make one. I mean, (laughs) you can't really come up with like a more or less attention getting matchup than these two teams this year. I mean, the Padres we've been talking about and watching constantly. The Cardinals are just, they're good, they're fine, but they just are really unremarkable, partly because I think their strength, again, is defense, which is just one of those things that really sort of slips under the radar. But also, it's like, you know, their staff, Flaherty has not been as impressive as he was last year. I guess Wainwright is almost back to being the ace again. So it's uh, not a, a bad team. And like the Marlins, it's a good story and impressive that they got here. But I just, it looks like it's the Padres series to lose just because of how incredible that offense is. I've been looking forward to Padres Dodgers for at least a month now. And if the Cardinals take that for me, <laughs> I'll be very upset. Yeah. Uh, ben, you said that Atlanta-Cincinnati might be the series you're most looking forward to. I think this is the most mundane of the eight. There's just not as much interesting here, which is weird to say about a series with guys like Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado. Uh, I do want to shout out Trevor Rosenthal because he's been really, really good this season after I thought his career was over. Last year, he walked 26 batters in 15 and a third innings, had an ERA of 13.5. And this year, he's been incredible since coming over to San Diego at the trade deadline. He's thrown 10 innings, and he has 17 strikeouts and one walk. Uh, So that is really good. That's an ERA of zero and a FIP of .09. So I think the rotation is good, of course, pending Lamette and Clevenger's health. The bullpen is good with Rosenthal and Pomeranz. The lineup is good. Uh, I think the Padres are a really good team, as I'll talk about shortly. Uh, And I don't see the Cardinals matching up although as you say with all of these series it's three games and anything can happen i think the the padres rotation first of all as far as i'm operating under the assumption that lamette's going to pitch in this series clevenger less so but the reports on lamette seem to be a little bit more optimistic but i still you know zach davies has been really good uh you know paddock we'll see what they get out of him but they've got guys who can step in on the the back end you know adrian morhone and um uh, Luis Patino, who can sort of give the, what they they haven't been doing like precisely an opener, but they've been going like once through the 
through the order or three innings and then getting into the bullpen to get a little bit more length. I think that can work, uh, particularly if if Clevenger is going to come back for the, the next series. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the Trevor Rosenthal thing, I mean, it is an incredible comeback, but also let's not forget this guy played a big part in a lot of postseason success for the Cardinals. So the Cardinals, I just looked this up, are 18 and five all time in playoff games where Trevor, where Trevor Rosenthal pitches. So we'll see uh, how that shakes out in this series here. I'm also glad I, I made it through that segment, not calling him Trevor Hoffman, which I feel like I think every time I see his name with the Padres uniform attached. Oh man, that's I hadn't made that connection and it's going to be a problem from now on. I can (laughs) tell already. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the Island. Well, I said, let me head to the North, head towards the water. Let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right. We made it through all three. We're still under an hour. So that gives us time to reveal our World Series picks. Uh, So, Ben, why don't you go first? Yeah, the suspense is incredible as people wait to hear people who Mr. Chalk know, is man. picking this... for the World Series. <laughs> Guess what? I'm picking the best baseball team to win the World Series this year. It's the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it's because they're the best at baseball. And so I expect that they will continue to be. <laughs> and uh, That's pretty much it. And I think if you look at the playoff odds, I, I think their odds of actually winning the World Series are like one in five right now. So that just goes to show, again, that although there will be upsets, you know, upsets are sort of relative here. There's really no one who's favored to win over the gigantic field. So that said, I think the the Dodgers are just a juggernaut. They are the sole really, I think, flawless super team here that could have been one of the best baseball teams of all time if this had been a full-length season. And I just don't see any reason not to pick them other than small sample. And who knows? Good. That was incisive uh, as ever. How about you, Zach? So I just want to say about the Dodgers. Yes, they are the best team. But I think just because they're the best team doesn't mean that everybody should pick them. Like I think I saw at ESPN and not to pick on ESPN because we're going to be doing it on this podcast, too. At ESPN, they had a couple dozen people pick the World Series champion. And more than half of them picked the Dodgers. The Dodgers championship odds are nowhere near 50%. In fact, that's not odds, how the math works. I understand. That. I understand. <laughs> but the Dodgers odds of even making the NLCS are lower than 50%. So while, yes, they are the best team, I think the, the margins in their championship odds are not so far ahead of other teams that it's fun if everybody picks the Dodgers. Why are you so angry about this? Because (laughs) before the podcast started, you were giving me, yes, this was off air, but you were giving me so much grief about breaking the descent. And and 
that upset me. This I should give be grief fun. about everything off air. No, like, <laughs> like this is a this is like a level of defensiveness that makes me think that you're ramping up to something truly bizarre. No, I'm picking the Padres. Like, <laughs> okay, I, yeah, it's not that crazy, but yes, they play the Dodgers in the second round. Which, if the the seeding were a straight one through eight, I think the Padres would have nabbed the number two seed in the National League. Instead, they got the four, so we're going to get a Dodgers Padres uh, NLDS if both teams advance. And I think that could end up being like when the the Yankees and Red Sox would play each other in the ALCS every year and you felt like that was the best series of the playoffs. I think you could see that with Dodgers-Padres this year. Yeah, let me just say you're betraying your youth as a Yankees fan because not everybody always thought that was the the best series of the year. That was not the defect. That was not... Yankees Red Sox just by virtue of being the Yankees Red Sox is not the de facto World Series every not, season. Not by vert. No, I didn't say the World Series. I said the best series, like the Aaron Boone and then the three zero comeback. Those were that two classic the, series. The Aaron Boone series wasn't the best league championship series in two thousand three. We just talked about <laughs> Cubs and Marlins. <laughs> I think we're getting off topic. The point is the Padres are really good, and I am, I am less confident about this pick than I was before Lamette and Clevenger had their setbacks, but. For all the reasons I mentioned in the last segment, the Padres are my World Series pick. I kind of picked them as a a lark before the season, and I see no reason to stray from that pick now, uh, having seen them be really good over 60 games. So I made a very chalky pick, but for, for, but for very unchalky reasons, I agree with Ben that the Dodgers are the, are by far the best team in this playoff field with all the caveats of yes, with, with 15 other teams in the field, you should pick the field over any one team, even if they're as good as the Dodgers, but the Dodgers, I think are also the funniest possible team that could win the world series because can you imagine after all, like we're going on dating back to like, like almost 2008, some version of this team has been in the playoffs every year and has gotten to the LCS or the World Series and suffered some variation of fluky or heartbreaking loss. We're on year like nine of the Kershaw playoff narrative of the Kenley Jansen playoff narrative where Dave, the Dave Roberts playoff narrative is starting to, to rear its head. Imagine all of that finally resolves itself. They add Mookie bets. They finally like everything clicks and it's in the pandemic season that only lasted 60 games and had the weird playoff structure and the universal DH and everybody goes, yeah, this doesn't really count. I think that would be absolutely <laughs> hysterical if that happened. So for that reason, I'm picking the Dodgers in a hard-fought World Series over the Tampa Bay Rays. Mike, I hope you didn't uh, write that verbatim in your blurb because I did. So it feels like you <laughs> oh, just really? read what I did. I did write that verbatim in my blurb. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like, I guess Ben Glixman is just going to combine our, our two blurbs because I did the exact up. same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I see. I've seen people mention that, well, the 1981 Dodgers won the World Series and no one holds the weird 1981 split season against them, which is true. Which also they the should, by the way, because I the best team should, in, but... the, in the league in 1981 was the Reds, who didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that was a weird season, but the 1981 Dodgers played 110 games like they played most of a normal season. That's a little bit different from 60 games, but also if you are a Dodgers fan, let's say, and you want to make the case that this should count just as much like a I don't think the Dodgers really needed help getting into the playoffs. I think we can all probably agree. No, you don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. Yeah, I think if this had been a 162 game season and a 10 team playoff format, I think the Dodgers would have had zero trouble getting in. So it's not as if they fluked in. Right. And then once they get in, 
their road is way harder than it would have been, of course, because they have to play the extra round. They have to play the the best of three wild card round, and then they don't get home field advantage beyond the wild card round. So really, like you assume that the Dodgers would have made the playoffs regardless, right? And so it all comes down to the playoffs and the Dodgers road to a title this year is harder than it would have been under normal circumstances. So if we're going to just award titles via this fluky random process, which is what we've decided to do as a sport, then I think if anything, it's flukier and more random this year. So I think you could make the case. It's even harder for the Dodgers to win this oh, year. I Maybe don't actually believe that, uh, that a title this year is Ill- illegitimate. Like the way mm-hmm. I, I filled out my bracket, I had them beating, in my opinion, like the sec, the second, fourth and fifth best teams in the, uh, in the league in the Padres, the Braves and the Rays in the, in the world series. So like, it'll be tough. It'll be pro- probably for the reasons you mentioned, be tougher, but it's still like, there's still going to be that, that argumentation between the Dodgers and Dodgers fans and everybody mm-hmm. else, including people like me who just enjoy screwing with people rather than mm-hmm. any sort of, uh, you know, um, logical consistency. You have the Rays making the world series, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I picked, uh, I w- went back and forth between Rays and Twins and ended up going with the Rays. And if the Padres play the Rays in the World Series, I will enjoy that very much. But I am not looking forward to the baseball is dying narrative because uh, of the, the San Diego versus Tampa ratings. <laughs> yeah, you had so yeah. many trades between these two teams. You know, imagine like the tr- the Jake Cronenworth revenge series. I'm the Cronenworth Cup. The Cronenworth Cup. I like it. <laughs> ben, who did you? I didn't ask because I was afraid you would also pick the Rays because that is the chalkiest uh, World Series imaginable. The, the Yankees winning the pennant this year, which I, I don't feel great about. I could uh, easily see the Rays or, or even Cleveland making it or, you know, anyone for that matter. But I stuck with my preseason pick. Ben wants big ratings, Dodgers versus Yankees. Yeah, big ratings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Manfred over here. Baseball is living. <laughs> All right, that will just about do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB show. Thank you, Zach, for joining me today. Until the second round. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. And thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode and stealing my blurb for our uh, our playoff group post on the Ringer. The real question is, what time did you submit it? Mine was like 1.30 Eastern. Did I beat you? Last night? Oh, I beat you. I had you by a couple hours. All right. Uh, Anyway, thanks for producing the show and for, you know, committing plagiarism and so forth. Uh, Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, Enjoy the playoffs and we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.